You know, we've been uh, going through this series called Too Good to Keep Secret, and the whole point of the series, it really is this, is to figure out what is it about our faith. Sometimes when we try to live it out, the things that we're trying to experience with God, even though we hear that it's good news, we hear that it's gospel, we hear that we should be sharing it with other people, a lot of times our experience is something else, where it's almost, we're a little bit too shy. We're not so certain. We're a little bit embarrassed. We feel like this isn't good news for other people. It might be for me, but for other people, maybe they don't want to hear it. Yet when we look at other factors in our life, like a restaurant that we, that we ate and it had a, great, you know, uh, had a great menu and we just want to share that with other people, or maybe a certain clothing or a certain song or whatever, these kind of things, we have no hesitation in sharing what is here today, gone tomorrow. What is a fad today and not tomorrow. Yet when it comes to something that is eternal, something that we hear from God's word, saying that he is our father, he loves us, he really connects us with why we exist and how, how significant each one of us are, somehow when it comes to that, we feel like it's not such good news like these other things or these other trivial things in our life that we feel is worth sharing. So part of this is really about what is it about God our Father that we need to be reminded of, about our relationship with Jesus Christ that we need to see again, is it good news? What's the, what's the problem that we have of bridging it with our everyday life to make us 100% convicted that yes, even if I have friends that don't go to church, that may be of a different religion, may be of a different philosophy, that I still feel that this is good news enough to share with people around me, that I believe in this, that God really does make a difference in my life. You know, as we start together, let me read the Bible passage for today. It's very short. It comes from Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, verse 4. Now, Paul here is just addressing dads, and this is what he has to say. Fathers... Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. He didn't include parents. He didn't say moms and dads. He's speaking specifically just to dads. And he says, dads, I want you to know this because this is ingrained in us. It's part of who we are. It's how God created us. We have good parts of our character, good parts of our life, and the way that we are wired in general. He says, in general, because you are wired in a certain way, there are strengths to that wiring, but there's also weaknesses. And part of your strengths as you do it, and we see the testimonies from our kids, and we see uh, Rex's testimony, and we see other people in our own experience with our dads, we acknowledge that dads play an important role in our life, and we need them in our life. But at the same time, with that strength, there's also a weakness to it as well that dads can wander towards, that we can begin as dads to frustrate, to exasperate our own children. So Paul says it back then, and he says it, and it's still valid today. Dads, do not exasperate your children. Instead, he says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You know, some of you can relate by just remembering your own relationship with your own dads. 
of how dads can exasperate us. And I, I think some of our kids right now, like even my own kids probably looking at me saying, yeah, dad, you frustrate me or you enrage me. That's one of the other tes- uh, the word translations that come out is do not enrage your children. So how do we do that? Well, do you guys know that dads have certain dad things that they do that make us cringe at times, right? We have those kind of moments in our life. And I remember mine. I'm sure all of us have our own dad stories, but this was mine that made me cringe. I'm not sure as much as my sister, but I'm pretty sure it made her cringe as well. But when we were younger, because my dad was an immigrant family and he came over trying to make things work, adjust to a very different culture with a language that he doesn't know very well. And as he's struggling through it to make ends meet, survive, figure out how to live in this world, and then raise two kids at the same time, I know it's frustrating, and I know there's a lot of things. And my dad has his own personality, youthful uh, enjoyment as well, but sometimes it's like cringeworthy for uh, young people like me at that time. And the habit that my dad had was this. In a way for him to connect with our culture, uh, with Canadian culture, for whatever reason, he decided that every Canadian woman that he met on the street, her name was Nancy, right? So I don't know why, but he chose the name Nancy. My mom says it's probably because he had like, you know, when he was learning English, he had a pen pal, right? And the pen pal's name was Nancy. And so he just attributes every Canadian woman in Canada her name is Nancy, right? Anyone who doesn't look Korean, her name is Nancy. So I remember when we're driving down the street, uh, my dad will just roll down the window and go, hi, Nancy, to <laughs> just any, like, non-Korean or Canadian-looking person. Hi, Nancy. I'm like, Dad, stop it, right? There's an eye roll moment or this kind of, like, movement of, like, I'm so embarrassed. When we're walking down the street and to a park together, I remember, like, this woman just walking by and go, hi, Nancy. And I'm looking at my dad going, can you please stop it? But for whatever reason, our eye rolls for our dad, when we roll our eyes and when we turn blush red in our face, and we look at our dads and we say, can you stop? It's embarrassing me. For whatever reason, it gets translated for dads as, this is so funny, right? I want you to do it more, right? I don't know why that happens, but for me too, I have cringe-worthy moments for my own kids, and whenever they roll their eyes at me, again, it gets interpreted in my head, wow, they think I'm funny, right? And I'll do that even more, right? So, Whatever that is, that's what comes into my head. So I'm sure you guys have your stories too. And just a way for us to engage together and to get some of the stuff off of our chest. For those of you who are online, you can type it in your chat. But I want you to turn to the person beside you or around you and say, what's your cringe-worthy moment with your dad? What's a dad thing that you remember that you feel like, man, makes me cringe all the time? Go for it. You have like 30 seconds. What's a cringe thing that you have with your dad? All right, cringeworthy moments. I hope that was therapeutic in some way. Uh, You're able to get that off your chest. If you're a dad and you kind of heard it, know that it's cringeworthy for your own own children. So we we all know dads are not perfect, right? We try to do our very best. We're not perfect. We are human beings who often try their best with what we are given in life. So this is our allotment, this is what we have in life, and we just do our best to uh, try to make do with what we have. But the problem that some of us face is this. Sometimes when our dads, they stumble, 
Sometimes when our dads make mistakes, because dads get stressed too. And when the stress hits a certain point, we stumble a lot. Or we make bad decisions in that moment because we just don't have a healthy process to be able to better understand and better deal with the added stress at hand. And because of this, as we stumble, our image of fatherhood that we present to our kids can sometimes be a stumbling block for them in understanding God our Father in heaven. There's this um, Christian writer, his name is A.W. Tozer. He's a very deep person, reflective, and he says this. He says, we tend by secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. We tend by the secret law of our soul to move towards that mental image of God. You see, what he's saying is what our view of fatherhood is, our view of what an earthly dad is, sometimes that becomes the image that is in our heart and our soul moves towards that mental image in the way that we understand God the Father's role or how he treats his people based on our own experiences with our earthly fathers. So our view of our earthly fathers, it matters. Because if we have the wrong view of an earthly father, it can influence and it greatly influences our view of God. And when we have the wrong view of God, it ends up leading us towards a life that can be flawed. Because we begin to act in accordance with that flawed view of God and we make decisions that are not decisions based on who God really is. See, if you want to see who God is really like, we only need to look at Jesus Christ's son. The one image that Jesus brought up over and over and over again as he's trying to get this across to everyone that is out there because they obviously got it wrong and it was scandalous when the Jewish people first heard this. All throughout the Old Testament, they're hearing this Yahweh God. You can't even pronounce his name or, or, or write his name. To do so would be scandalous. To do so would be uh, cultish. They said, you, we must figure out a different writing so that we don't blemish the holiness of God. As they have this kind of mindset and they're trying to keep this distance between this holy God, Jesus comes and he says, I am God in flesh and let me interpret for you what the prophets have said and what this really is about and how we should treat God in heaven. And he doesn't start by sharing with the disciples, yes, you must honor God's name to such a point where you can't even pronounce it. In fact, when he's teaching his people how to communicate with God, he says, call him by name. And the name that he gives was not Elohim. It was not Yahweh. The name that he gives is Abba. When he was teaching his disciples how to pray, when you have a conversation with God, call him Father. And people were like, what? You, you can't do that. This is what? This is a holy, he has no kind of responsibility in that kind of way to us mere human beings. How could you be so scandalous in sharing that? And Jesus keeps saying, that's how you relate with God, your father. He's your dad. 
He's the one that created you, and he wants nothing but the best for you. He's your father, where you don't have to come fully clean. Just like any dad, if, if one of our kids stumble, they don't have to clean themselves up first and then come to, to us properly dressed or worthy of our attention. We, we tell them they can come to us at any time, no matter what has happened, and we want them here. In the same way, sometimes with our relationship with God, we think that we have to be a certain way in order for God our Father to listen to us. We have to do certain steps of consecration or whatever in order for God to give us a hearing. But Jesus says, no, you can come to God at any time and address him as your dad. And he will listen. You see, other times Jesus also said, if you have seen me, you have also seen your father in heaven. Jesus says, I am the representation of your father. He doesn't say, I am the representation of your master. He doesn't say, I am the representation of your Lord or your created, uh, of the one who created you. He calls him father. Jesus also says, let your light shine before all men that, that they may see your good works and glorify, and glorify your, he says, Father in heaven. Not your boss, not your master, not your supreme Lord. He calls him Father. Over and over, Jesus is trying to break this mindset that people had of God As someone who is unapproachable, someone who is out there too holy to have any sort of intimate relationship with us. You see, from the moment we see, from the moment we begin to talk, the moment we begin to uh, live our life and have that kind of concept of this relationship with our dad, you'll notice, just as Rex shared with us, he says, the first words that usually come out of our mouths is, Dad, help me with this. Dad, do this for me. Dad, do this. We we, uh, crave the attention of our dads. And God doesn't want anything different in our relationship with him. Remember when we used to say the following, Dad, did you see that? Did you see what I just did? Or Dad, did you see my recital? Or Dad, watch me do this. You know, we're naturally wired to please our Father and to have our Father see us wanting His pleasure. But here's the thing. If that's the natural relationship that God, our Father, wants with each one of us, then we need to understand this. Just as we learned from last week, there is this spiritual realm that we often dismiss, that we're not used to. In the spiritual realm, there is something called Satan or the adversary. And what Satan doesn't want is if he knows the primary relationship that God our Father wants with us is that fatherhood relationship, then Satan will do everything possible to keep us from having a healthy father-child relationship with God. You see, for many of us, we grow into this mindset where we think that being mature is God helps those who help themselves. That we begin, rather than becoming more and more dependent on God and realizing that he is our intimate father, we spend less and less time with him trying to just be responsible with our own work and then using God to kind of rubber stamp it. Can you just bless what I'm about to do? But we don't really interact with him. We begin to stray. We begin to have an estranged relationship with God our Father. 
See, sometimes the brokenness that we experience in our earthly father relationships, it reinforces that mindset and it drives us further and further away from God because it creates in our hearts that mindset, that thinking that that's kind of who God must be like. Let me give you three examples of some of the brokenness that we dads can have in our life. The passive dad. The passive dads are those who just stand there and just watch. Stand there who don't engage. Stand there because they're a little bit insecure. And because we have these passive dads, sometimes children's, uh, children get exasperated. They get frustrated because they want their dad to step up and they want their dad to fight for them. They want to know that my dad is going to be there and you will fight for me when I'm going through such a hard time. Passive dads, sometimes in their brokenness because of their own uh, hurts and whatever they've been through, they become passive in these kind of situations. And they think, just because I had to live this life and the way that I had to work things out by myself because my dad wasn't there for me, they just take a step back and allow their own children to fight their own battles. And sometimes children get exasperated because they want their dads to fight for them, to know that dads will be there. You know, in our relationship with God, it can affect us because we sometimes feel that God our Father can be passive. And because we might have that mindset, we don't engage with him in prayer because we don't want to be disappointed if God doesn't show up. And so we don't engage with him. We just assume that God our Father is passive, that he's just out there watching, and he won't fight for us. Here's another illustration of our of brokenness of dads, the abusive dad. Some dads are abusive, whether it's a verbal abusive or physical or psychological. It comes out of our brokenness as well, whether it's our high stress level, whether it's our own experiences that we went through. But oftentimes abusive dads are those who cannot control their emotions. Their emotions have taken over their heart and their mind. And because they are emotional and we kind of are always walking on glass around them because we are scared when they will blow up. We're worried that there might be triggers that are out there that causes our dads to just blow up suddenly and cause this kind of friction or this divide within the family. So what we try to do is we try to live our lives with these emotional or abusive dads by just trying to appease them. Making sure that, oh, if I do this, will my dad get angry? Or I'm going to try to live this way and so that my dad doesn't get upset. Or if I do this, will it trigger him? And so we kind of live our life on our tiptoes all the time thinking, whatever I do, it might trigger my dad. In that same way, sometimes our relationship with God can act that same way. As soon as we live a certain way and then something bad happens, we automatically attribute that's what our God, our Father, is like. He's just emotional. That I just made this one mistake, and I know it's my mistake, and that's why I'm experiencing that I got fired from this job or uh, something bad happened with my health or, or this kind of thing. We see God, our Father, as kind of like this abusive dad that's just too trigger-happy. I feel like the way that I live, the way that whatever I've done, it affected my relationship with God that he's just now lashing out, giving judgment on us. Then there's also the absent dad. The absent dad causes us to really want, I needed my dad in this place, but he wasn't there. Now the absence of a dad can take form of many different, many different scenarios. 
One of them can just be that he just left. Another one can be maybe he's just too successful and business or all these important meetings just take precedence all the time, not because they want it necessarily. It's just that there's these big things that sometimes dads feel, I need to take care of, I'm the only one that can take care of it. But because of their success, because of their business, because sometimes they can be a little bit too self-centered in those areas, we feel that our dad is absent in these important times of our life, and we just need him there. See, these are ways that dads can exasperate our children, and this is why Paul says, dads, fathers, do not exasperate, do not frustrate, do not enrage your children in these ways. See, even the most well-meaning dad can make mistakes and have regrets. I'm not sure how many of you guys here know the name Billy Graham. Have you guys heard of the name Billy Graham before? He was a famous evangelist, and I have pictures of him for those of you who may not know who he is. But Billy Graham made uh, these events where thousands upon thousands of people would come and accept Jesus Christ as, as their personal Savior and their Lord, not only in North America, but all over the world. In fact, he met with dignitaries, presidents, uh, kings. Uh, he also met with um, political parties to appease certain things that were going on during that time. He was extremely influential. So near the end of his life, there was someone who wanted to do an interview with Billy Graham. And this is one of the last interviews that Billy Graham had with this reporter. And as they sat down, one of the questions that the reporter asked Billy Graham was this. He says, with all these great things that you have done and this legacy that you're leaving behind and all these people that you have touched, do you have any regrets in your life? And the reporter was surprised by the answer that Billy Graham gave. He says, I only have one regret in my life. And he said this, my one regret is not spending more time with my children. This is a man who shook the world and converted many. This is a man who counseled kings and presidents. This is a man who solved uh, disputes and broke yokes of oppression and political boundaries. This was a man who didn't regret not having enough money, didn't regret having a, being a better preacher, not regret having more recognition. This was such a great man, and his one regret in life, but his largest and biggest regret, is rather than spending more time on the world stage, he says, I needed to spend more time with my children. Imagine this influential man. The thing that he misses most is not rolling around on the ground with his children laughing, not giving that extra piggyback ride or horsey ride to his young children when they're younger, regretting not being with them and going to their recital or holding their hands and teaching them how to fish. This was the regret that Billy Graham had as he was about to pass. You see, the heart of Billy Graham is the best representation of the Father's, God our Father's love that he has for each and every one of us. 
Beyond all the power, the sovereignty, the glory of God, all the world-changing things that he is doing and all the great things that he is to accomplish, God our Father, his number one desire has that same heart as, as Billy Graham. He wants to spend time with us. What God our Father wants most and desires most is to be present with us in every part of our journey. But the problem that we often have, whether it's because of our own impression of our dads that we have growing up, is we tend to hide those different aspects of our life from God. Even though that God may be willing to walk with us in our life, we tend to just dismiss him. We tend to go out and, and just try to pursue other things in our life without including God in those parts of our life. See, Paul then says in the second verse, as we're trying to learn, so what does it mean for us to grow in that healthy relationship with God? He says it in the second part of this verse. He says, so bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, for a lot of us, the reason why we don't want to hang out with God our Father, sometimes we just feel like he's just a drag on our life or we don't feel he's important enough for us to spend time with him, it's, it's really because of this. He says, Paul says, don't exasperate your children, but he says, do this. And remember, um, Paul is looking at Jesus as a representation of the Father. What did Jesus do for all people? What he did was, as he was here on earth, he raised them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And this is the one point that I want to give as we wrap up this message in, um, for us to remember as we go forward in our terms of our relationship with God is the thing that God is most concerned about when he looks at our life is the inside, not the outside. God is more concerned about the inside of our life, what happens in our heart, what happens in our mind, than he is on the outside appearance. You know, being brought up in the Lord or being brought up in the instruction of the Lord, it will not secure for us because a lot of times our engagement with God is more based on the outside than it is on the inside. We want God in our life, but usually we want God because we're focused on the outward kind of stuff. So, for example, sometimes we're looking for a house and we want that house. We want that perfect picture kind of uh, future for our life and saying, if I don't have my house or this outside thing, I feel that something is missing in my life. For some of us, it might be a nice spouse. We feel like a spouse has been missing or a relationship has been missing, and we feel that there's this disengagement, and God, why aren't you giving me this thing that I feel like I need? A boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse. For some of us, it may be fame or fortune. God, I need you to be part of my life because I want these outer things, this fame and this fortune to be part of my life. Some of us, it may be our looks or our abilities. God, why did you make me look this way? Or God, why don't you give me better talents and better gifts so that I can compete with other people better? We're always focused on the outside stuff. And that's what we want from our relationship with God our Father. Give me these outside stuff. But we remember, remember when Samuel was uh, called to appoint a king and he looks at Jesse's sons 
And among all the sons, even Samuel's looking at the outward appearance, like that guy looks like a king, this guy looks at the king. But God reminds Samuel that the father's heart works differently. Look at uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, for myself, purchasing a home, the outside part is important for me. I like how the outside should look. But sometimes if you purchase a home, and even though the outside looks great, if the inner plumbing work, the inner electric, uh, electric work was in shambles, no matter how good your house looks on the outside, it frustrates you to live in that house because you keep having these etern- internal issues. In that same way, this is why God's so focused on the inward rather than the outward. Even though we say, God, I need this outward-looking thing. I need this better image, or I need this better job, or I need this better husband or wife, or I need this better. And we want these things because we feel like it makes us look better. We're so about appearances. And God says, when I engage with you as your father, I'm not so much worried about these appearance stuff. I'm more worried about can you properly handle these things when they are given to you. And the only way that we know we can handle it is if the inner work is actually done. This is why sometimes we get frustrated when we deal with God our father. Because what his interest is in is in that inner plumbing work, the inner electrical work inside of our hearts. And every time we engage with God, we feel like, God, that's going to take too long. Or God, that's not what I'm interested in. Or God, I don't want that. I just need this. Give me this first. And God keeps telling us, even if you have it, just like me, if I purchase a house, And it's infuriating or it's frustrating even though I have the house that I want because the inner plumbing work is in shambles. God says if your inner life is in shambles, it's not at peace, it's not working properly, then no matter what you have on the outside, it won't satisfy you because the inner work has not been done. See, God desires to spend every moment with us and allow us To enjoy those moments with God. So how does he focus on this inner work? Well, again, look at what Paul says. He says, the way that God calls us to bring up our children is modeled after the way that God tries to bring us as his children. And he says, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. So let's focus on those three things. He says, bring them up. What does that mean? Bring them up means raise them up to be like-minded as responsible adults. That's what he's saying saying to earthly fathers. uh, Bring them up means raising them up to be like-minded as responsible, mature adults. In other words, this. Bring them up in such a way that when they reach maturity, that that our dads don't have to do everything for us, that we learn how to be responsible with our money, we learn how to be responsible with our resources, we learn how to be responsible for our materialistic kind of gains. He says, raise your children in such a way that they're not so dependent 
that everything that you do has to be reconciled or has to be audited by your dad or your dad just suddenly has to go in and correct and fix everything for you. Raise them up in such a way that they can live in that kind of way. So what does that mean? It means sometimes dads have to let go and let their children learn from their own mistakes. Sometimes dads have to allow children to go through hard times. And as they figure out those hard times, it builds character in their life. In the same way, when God raises us up, those two things are difficult for us to experience when we are with God our Father. Because we feel like he doesn't love us. When God allows us to go through our suffering, we feel like, why aren't you stepping in? When God allows us to go through uh, some of the uh, hardships or the stumbling that we go through, we feel like, where is God in this journey? But as dads know, sometimes we have to allow our kids to get through those moments so that we build maturity in and into them. So they're not overly dependent, overly spoiled, but they have the character to be able to handle life as it comes. He says, bring them up. Then he says, training and instruction. Training, it comes from the word discipline or laying down the rules. These are the rules that I'm giving you. And I'm going to discipline you so that you keep these rules. Instruction means counseling or reasoning. So that there's a counseling and they're not just about do it because I tell you to do it. But there's also a conversation, a dialogue and counseling and reasoning as we try to figure this thing out together. You see, what God is, uh, what Paul is emphasizing, the way that God trains us and leads us, he first says this. There are certain ground rules that God puts in place, just as every household has rules. And you need to keep those rules. And if those rules aren't kept, then there's discipline that's associated with it. He says those need to be in place. And the same thing, if we're always going outside of those boundaries, outside of those rules, it's chaos. You can't grow. And God says there must be proper discipline in a house. In the same way in our relationship with God, God gives us those rules. God gives us those clear boundaries. And he says live within these boundaries. But every time we stray from it, if most of our life is rebelliousness, if most of our life is, no, I know better than my dad, or I know better than my father in heaven, then what happens is the only kind of conversations that we have with our dads or with, our, uh, with God our father is this argument about, no, I don't want these boundaries in my place. No, I feel like I need, I know better for my life, so let me live my own life. But when we do, we begin to stumble. And we realize there are reasons why those rules exist. There's reason why certain disciplines need to be formed in our life. But if we don't keep it, we keep ourselves from growing up. We become too dependent on God to do everything for us. We never grow up. But at the same time, God our Father understands grace. He doesn't make everything about rules or discipline or this is how you should do it. There's reasoning that's part of it as well. There's counseling that's part of it as well. God doesn't create us to just be animals that just do his own beck and call. He understands that we are humans. And as humans, we will stumble. And in that stumbling, there is reasoning. There's a time where we come back to the Father 
and we have that conversation with God our Father, and we realize that he loves us. But those rules will remain the same. But he's not going to just keep coming down on you, rule after rule after rule. There's grace, but those rules don't change. But the grace helps us to come back in and live within those limitations. See, brothers and children, uh, brothers, brothers and sisters, I want you to think for a moment about your own relationship with God the Father. Are we living outside of those boundaries that he has established for us in terms of how we spend time with God? How we engage with him? What he calls us to do with our relationships, whether it's forgiveness, our money, whether it's how we spend it and the values associated with it with the pursuits that we have, whether it's too external rather than internal. And all of these boundaries that we see that God gives for us, he gives us for our flourishing. Not to harm you, not to discourage you, but to bless you. And I pray that as we take on those disciplines and we begin to hear God's spirit lead us and convict our hearts in that way, saying, do this, and keep on doing it. We don't see it as legalistic, but we see it as training, as discipline that God brings into our life for our flourishing. If some of us, we find ourselves that have a brokenness in our relationship with God, whether it's because we see him as a passive dad, the abusive dad, or the absent dad, let's bring that to him and let it be corrected as we spend time with him rather than hiding from him in our everyday life. I want to ask if Danielle can come back up. And I want to lead us in a time where we can reflect on this together. Uh, Caleb, can you get the light um, at the back? Well, let's just have the middle lights on. I just want to give us a, a little bit of space to be able to uh, pray together before we end off our time. And even for our... Um, our brothers and sisters online, I invite you to just stay with us. Uh, you will hear some piano in the background, but use this time to really engage. The first thing that I want to bring for our engagement with God is, do we have a broken understanding of who God our Father is? If so, let's lay it down and sing, Lord, help me get beyond it. Heal me. And show me what a real father is like by the way that you lead me. But help me to trust you enough to stay within your boundaries, to stay within your training, to stay within your counsel. Let's pray. Lastly, let's also pray for the inner work that needs to be done. Let's entrust the outer work that God will bring that into our life in his wisdom and in his timing. But rather than 
being too focused on whether we have those outer things or not and allowing that to determine our relationship with God? Let's trust that God's inner work in us is to prepare us for flourishing, for the good things that he wants to bring in our life. Let's allow him to do that in our work. And in the way that the Holy Spirit may convict your heart at this moment, that one area that he brings to your heart of this is how you step back in into these boundaries, this part of your life, come back in, whatever that is. Let's commit that to God and ask him, help me step back in. Let's pray together. that are in this place. Will you bring them back to you, Father Lord? Let us not be estranged from you. Those of us who need healing, bring that healing, Lord. For those of us, Father Lord, who need to step back into those boundaries, help us to do that. Will you bless us this Father's Day? May our first response to Father's Day be, to step back into your presence. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.